from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a VinePair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to give everyone a better picture of what's been going on in the alcohol beverage industry this year. Uh, I'm really excited to be talking with Alix Peabody, the founder and CEO of Bev, and Stephanie Gallo, the CMO of Gallo, because they have a really interesting partnership that's just begun. So uh, Stephanie and Alix, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. So uh, before we jump into why you're both on the podcast, um, I think everyone who listens to VinePair is probably well familiar with Gallo, um, but they may not be super familiar with Bev. So Alix, if you could tell me a little bit about Bev and yourself, that would be awesome to get us going. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Bev is kind of a a little bit of an enigma, I suppose. I think Stephanie would agree with me there. <laughs> um, but it's it's been a crazy story. I mean, I started the company just about three and a half years ago, and it came, honestly, it, it was a brand and a mission long before it was a product. I had absolutely, no, I knew nothing about the alcohol beverage business uh, whatsoever. I um, I started the company actually out of a need to pay some medical bills uh, because I was going through some some health problems, totally fine. But, um, and we ended up, you know, I ended up throwing these parties that were really female-centric, female-focused. I come from a background um, and a history of being in very fratty places, male-dominated industries and and stuff like that. And as I started throwing these events, I really loved the idea of what happens when you change the narrative a little bit around, you know, whose space that really is and, you know, and and how do you how do you make that more female friendly and, and female owned? And I've, I've never been an angry person by nature. I always like approaching these things with, you know, with joy and unity and all, all that good stuff. And so I started looking into the into different ways that I could sort of spread this brand and vision and mission before anything else. And I landed in this industry kind of by accident because I was like, you know, this is the lowest common denominator of of any party you've ever been to, any event and, and stuff like that. And so um, wound up, you know, making canned wine um, simply because, well, I had some friends in the wine industry. I didn't, you know, I didn't know much about it. I knew that it was going to be very hard to find some amazing supporters like Steph, um, given that it is, you know, such it's such a mysterious industry for a lot of people. And, um, you know, and ended up picking wine because I figured that we needed to have some proof of concept and a customer base before we could really prove that there was a huge market for this. And this was before canned wine was was a big thing. So I, I cashed out my 401k at the time. I bought 300 gallons of rosé from um, I don't even know if Steph knows this from from a guy I met on a dating app um, who, <laughs> who just so happened to be in the wine industry. Um, and then off off we were to the races, and we you know I got to meet meet Stephanie last year, and it's just been the best. I mean, I can't say I can't say enough amazing things about Gallo and our relationship. I would call it a friendship at this point too. It's just it's been wonderful. So tell me, you know, why canned wine? So obviously you were you were doing parties. But what made you see an opportunity in canned wine um, as opposed to – I mean now I guess it's, it's a little bit more obvious that RTDs are all the rage and things like that. Um, but since you were throwing parties, what was it about canned wine that, that got you interested and what specific brand did you want to create around canned wine? Oh my gosh. That, I mean, it's such a funny question because I, I get asked this a lot. It's like, how did you, you know, how did you know about the RTDs? I knew nothing. So my whole, my whole thought process behind it was, 
well, wine is the only product that I can sell D to C. And therefore, it's the only product that I can, A, understand who my consumer is, um, and B, can sell without distribution because I, I figured that was going to be really hard. I mean, I was Googling three-tier liquor laws. Like, that's how that that's how little I knew at the time. Um, and I put it in a can simply because I had no money. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, it's really hard to you know, to pour something into a glass and and be able to identify what that brand is. You don't know what it is you're drinking if it's in a glass. So um, I put it in a can because I was like, if it's if it's cute, if it's marketable, um, and you know, people want to take. I mean, it's simple as Instagram photos with it. Um, it will start to market itself. And you know, at the time, I mean, it was very hard to find someone who would even who would even can wine. You know, so right. um, so so I I I was just lucky, honestly. <laughs> So I mean, so was was the brand always direct to consumer? Was that the goal? No, I mean, no. The goal has always been to be a mass market product and to appeal, you know, to to be everywhere and anywhere our consumers are. Uh, I just knew that we were going to need a proof of concept, and I knew that we were going to need to be able to show distributors, you know, who who are looking at products in terms of scan data and, and things, things like that, that like, no, look, there's actually a market for this. There's a customer. And I can tell you where it, where that customer is. And I, I just, you know, I just figured that that was going to be my only way to really prove the concept of a brand new product. And, right. you know, I'm glad we did because it's quite hard to launch a new product in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> no. Did you, so did you find that also helped in fundraising? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, it, it did eventually. Uh, at the beginning, nothing really helped in fundraising. Um, it was it was so much work. I mean, I I've I've told stuff this, but I I worked. You know, I, I mean, I spoke to over four hundred people uh, mm-hmm. just to get you know just to get a few checks um, at the beginning because it's such a tough industry for people who know nothing about it. You know, yeah. and and I think that's you know that's that's something that hopefully. Bev can start to make more more approachable, and and I, I'm just I'm really excited that that the Gallo team sees what we're doing and values it because it, trust me when I say it has been a long journey and that has not always been the case. Yeah, well, so this so I'm curious about this. So you know, obviously the the beverage industry is really hard. Obviously, Stephanie can tell you that there, there's and there's a lot of ideas and a lot of people trying to raise money, um, and there have been some brands that are, are buzzy right now that we could talk about that are also DTC, some that I've had on the, on this podcast, but a lot of them haven't raised, have, and, and correct me, have you raised, because I saw different things, 17, 7 million or 14 million? Well, both. The first was 17, or the first was seven. Was seven. Next now you've, have you raised 14, did you raise seven more or, or 14 more? 14 more. Cool. So, so 21 million is a lot of money to raise. What do you think is it about Bev and your story and what you were selling that cause these investors to say, we will totally go in on this when a lot of other beverage companies cannot do that uh, and have had a really hard time raising funds? You know, that is, that's an awesome question. And I think it was a few things. I mean, my grandfather always said luck falls on the shoulders of those prepared to receive it. And there was a lot of preparation. (laughs) And I think, you know, part of the reason that we were not able to raise capital in the beginning from traditional beverage or, you know, or CPG funds is because they, you know, they want to see metrics, they want to see traction. This is such a catch 22 for young brands, because you have no metrics, you have no traction. And it's a capital intensive business, and you need the capital to you know, to, to get it off the ground, just to burst the product for, if nothing else. Right. And, and so for, for me, 
Um, I, you know, I leveraged my relationships in Silicon Valley from my time working there. Um, and we got, you know, we were very lucky to be the the first ever beverage and or CPG product backed by Founders Fund. Yep. The other thing that was very difficult about it that I, I think a lot of people don't realize is a lot of these funds that kind of that play in, you know, the fast and loose you know, space or for, form of investing, they have um, they have vice clauses, so th- they're not allowed to invest in in alcohol, tobacco, firearms, you know, sex toys. I don't I don't know why rosé is looped in with firearms per se, but um, <laughs> but a lot of them just can't even do it. So that, so the number of people that you're actually allowed to try to raise capital from is even smaller. So it makes it even more difficult. And so I really got. You know, I, I was I was lucky um, in that I was able to get someone who said, you know what, I see your vision, I see your brand, I see your passion, and I'm going to invest in that pre-revenue. Um, and that was, you know, I mean that that was frankly crazy, but um, but I good on them, and and I and I am so grateful for that support. And then it wasn't until we really started to show traction and metrics and repeat rates and all, all of these kinds of things. And then obviously get, you know, get some major retailers excited and behind the brand as well, that we were able to say, no, look, there is a real market for this um, and go to the more traditional sources of capital. But I, I think that is one of the major issues is that, um, or it's, it, one of the major catch 22s for young beverage brands is that there's not a lot of capital available for, for beverage companies without solid metrics. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this podcast right now are like, you know, who also have beverage brands or who are thinking about beverage brands and things like that. And I also know that we also have one of the most uh, accomplished CMOs on this podcast with you. So I don't want to only keep asking you questions, but I have one more before I come to yeah, Stephanie, she's, which is... she's the one that knows all the, all the good stuff. She's right. the one you want to listen to. Who, who is... Who was the market for Bev and what did the growth look like? So when you start, first started going to market, like what metrics were you looking for? Were you trying to go from, you know, hundred cases to a thousand cases to 5,000 cases and who were you targeting? Obviously I've read a bunch about the brand, but I don't want to give away what I've read because I want you to tell the listeners instead who you thought the audience for the brand was. And was that the people that actually became the audience for the brand? I mean, another fantastic question. I think I originally thought, you know, I, you, you just, you walk down a, a, a liquor aisle or, you know, a beer aisle or whatever, and you see all of these brand, these branded products that are highly emotionally branded and targeted towards the male consumer, or in my opinion, the male consumer trying to buy drinks for the female consumer. It's not uh-huh. necessarily speaking to and with the female consumer, or you have, you know, fantastic brands that are more artisanal in nature where it's really about the craft. It's, it's about the winemaking, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And, and for me, you know, I was like, there's, there's really nothing that a woman can hold in her hand in a can, you know, that's, that's like, it's almost like wearing a brand t-shirt that says, you know, this is what I stand for. And, and for us, it's always been about exciting women to have, not only the permission, but like the the joy of celebrating themselves, of being themselves. Um, and that's kind of what we hope to communicate. And so at the beginning, you know, I thought just given, you know, given the bright packaging and all this stuff, and I get asked a lot, like, well, you know, well, why'd you make it pink if, you know, if you're, if you're a feminist forward brand and um, blah, blah. And I was like, because it's my favorite color. Like, I don't need to apologize for that, <laughs> frankly. Um, that's, that's why I did it. And then, and then I started, 
putting in more of my favorite colors and stuff like that. And I think the authenticity of the brand has really resonated with the consumer through and through. That said, uh, the consumer base has been far, far more expansive than I expected. So I, I was expecting us to really hit that sort of late 20s, maybe early 40s range we're seeing, you know, we're seeing tales all the way up to women in their mid 60s, pretty equally distributed and also pretty equally distributed throughout the country, which has been very, very exciting. And, um, you know, and a lot of those people, they're looking for it in stores. Um, they're they're looking on our store locator. They're trying to find it. And and that's where that's where stuff comes in. So, yeah. So, Stephanie, that, thank you for that, actually. Alex. That's a that's a nice way for me to ask <laughs> Stephanie a question. So a few things. So how did you first discover Bev, uh, Stephanie? And then also, I'm sort of, sort of a two-part question here. My other thing to sort of pick up on what Elise was saying is I, I understand somewhat to your point that there wasn't – there aren't a lot of brands, I guess, that are very female. But then you have other people who will say, isn't that all of wine? Like, And I'm wondering from Stephanie who has so many brands and has – you know been in this business for such a long time, you know, I feel like that's a stereotype that all of wine is female focused. Like that's what I hear all the time from other winemakers. How do I bring in men to my wine? Like, I don't know why I just did a weird Italian accent, but um, do you know what I mean? Like that, that's what I feel like I hear more and more and more of like, how do I get men to drink Prosecco? Like only women drink Prosecco. So I'm curious if like all of us are just kind of wrong and we've all stereotyped wine for, for too long. Um, but then also Stephanie, when you discovered Bev, when did you discover it and what, attracted you to it in the first place? So on a personal level, I discovered Bev, believe it or not, um, through a mutual friend on Instagram where she actually um, went to go visit the Bev headquarters and talked about meeting Aleks. Okay. And so I had been following Bev, I think, since its inception. Um, and then during COVID, actually, my uh, brother reached forward along the pitch deck and basically said, Hey, I think this is something pretty interesting. Why don't you follow up with the leaks to see if, if there's something here? So personally about three years ago, professionally a leaks, what about six months ago, seven months ago. Oh, I um, didn't know you knew it's that early. I'm flattered. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I've been following Bev just as a regular consumer to answer your question specifically. I, the reason why we were interested in Bev and it goes back to what you were saying is that, from an innovation pipeline perspective, I have always wanted to develop a brand that was very, not necessarily female centric, but one that really spoke to a cultural trend that we're seeing around women's empowerment, around women's founders, um, around female entrepreneurship. I think that this is something that is super on trend and I think it's here to stay. And I really felt that authentically, Gallo, we, we didn't have the permission to tell that story. So when we met Aleeks, I felt that if I were to create an organic brand, it would have been Bev. And I think that what has always appealed to me about Bev is that um, it is extremely mission-driven and it has a very, very strong purpose. And I think great brands that are going to go ahead and accelerate growth are one where strong purpose combined with great mission, um, combined with things that are culturally relevant, um, are brands that can be accelerated and that it will be here to stay. 
So talk to me about how this, how this part, like, first of all, explain to me what the partnership is for those that aren't aware. And then also how did it come about? So the partnership is pretty darn simple. We are, we are going to be, we, today's the day, actually, I texted Alix this morning at six. Um, but today is the day where the E&J Gallo Winery will basically be the distributor of Bev. So we're basically okay. into a distribution arrangement. Alix is going to continue doing what she's doing. She's still the owner of the brand. She's still going to market the brand and she's going to continue doing what um, Bev will be successful. And Alix's team will continue to run the D2C operation. Okay. So you'll be the ones getting it in store. So how will that work in terms of um, is Bev going to be able to take advantage, obviously, of, of Gallo's access to great wine and things like that as well? Eventually, but for right now, you know, it's working. And, right. you know, it's, we want, I think that for when, and so when, when Alix and I talked about this partnership, I know that she had a lot of opportunities and looked at many different arrangements. But I remember having a conversation with her and I said to her, what makes Bev Bev is quite candidly the founder story and Alix's involvement. And I think it's critical to the success of this brand. Um, and we wanted to main for the for the health and success of what Bev stands for. We just think it's absolutely critical that that Alix and and her wonderful team continue to stay involved and do what they do. And so, what will will marketing for this look like now? Is it is Alix? Is that all of your team still that's sort of running Correct. the message, running Instagram, you know, yeah, doing yeah. ad buys, things like that? Absolutely. And I think I think one of the things that was so you know compelling to me about the Gallo team and and Steph in particular, you know, is just she really believes and you know I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth but that um you know that us operating independently and really being able to own that narrative and and build the brand the way that we've been doing that's that's created so much traction is so important and i think when you talk to a lot of different you know strategics and for the lack of a better word and and um stuff of that nature they they you know it tends to be like okay great you did this thing i'm going to take it and i'm going to build it myself and and the partnership with gallo that's just been so awesome is that Steph doesn't believe that she's like, what you guys are doing is working and it would, it behooves the brand and it would be, it would, it would be painful to the brand to stop that. And so I think, you know, partnership is the best word for what's going on. It's, it's, it really is a partnership and, you know, we're, we're going to help every way we can in terms of, you know, having, having our ambassadors out there and, and stuff like that. But, um, but there's, there's no one better out there than, than Gallo when it comes to execution and wholesale. And, and that's a place that for most brands, I mean, that's where they, that's where they falter because it, yeah. it's so expensive, you know, it's so difficult. And, and so having, having that opportunity is, is just, I mean, it's beyond, I, I'm, I get emotional when I talk about it. <laughs> So I, I will be honest. So Stephanie is very famous for asking tough questions. Oh no! Um, so I have one for her, which is so for 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 the person just looking at this situation, is this like Casamigos? So is this that Gallo is ultimately going to acquire Bev, and that this is sort of a middle position where like you guys are going to kind of see how it goes for the beginning? Is this something separate? Is this a, a partnership um, that you know if if you both don't like it in a few years, you can walk away from. First, well, look, the first time I ever met Stephanie, she said to me, why haven't you sold Vine Pair yet? I was like, because I'm not ready. So, I mean, she asked me those questions. I have to ask her these questions. So, Adam, you know, Alix and I have had a lot of what we're going to call spiritual conversations <laughs> about this, this topic. And for us, look, we're just getting started. 
And ultimately, I think it really depends on what Elix wants to do with the brand moving forward. But right now, I honestly mean this, we're very, very happy simply with the partnership around the distribution agreement. Um, I think that we have a lot to learn from Alix and Alix has a lot to learn from us. And I think that there's value there. That totally makes sense. I really see very good answer. Um, <laughs> so Alix, with, in terms of the brand, how do you see most, this is a question I ask a lot of people around canned wine. When I talk to Psalms, and I think it's interesting that you, you didn't have a background in wine. Cause I'm wondering if your experience around canned wine is actually the way we see most consumers experience it. When I talk to Psalms who started canned wine brands, Every time we talk about the wine, they talk about how like the wine is still poured in a glass. And and I and I think to myself, I don't know anyone who drinks canned wine that drinks it from a glass. You're speaking my language. Yeah. Like no one no one drinks it out of a come on. It's canned wine for a reason. And and so I'm curious, how are you seeing your consumer drink canned wine? And what do you think the wine industry is still getting wrong about canned wine? Like what are the stereotypes or the misconceptions people have about canned wine that are just flat wrong. You know, it's funny because our we joke in the office that our our favorite compliment is, "Oh, it's actually good." Um, <laughs> that we get this we get this all the time, and and it's funny because you know, like I said, I had no I had no money when I started out, and so I was the can in my in a way was going to be our biggest marketing tool. Right. And, and so I was like, I need people drinking this out of the can. I need it to be directly consumed from the can because I need them holding the can so that people can identify it and, and see, um, you know, and, and see what that is. And so, so for me, um, it was a canned product from the get go. And, uh, I joke, I mean, Steph will probably, um, you know, roll over in her grave one day about this, but the first time that I, that I went to a winery knowing nothing about anything, um, I said, you know, the, the word I'm looking for is chuggable. And I've since learned that the word I was looking for is, is sessionable. But um, <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I didn't know any better. And I think, you know, as someone who was simply a consumer, I mean, the way that we that we developed the, the product itself was I just had my friends taste. I went to I went to the store. I bought every rosé, every canned wine I could find. I blind taste tested them. Um, the results probably got, you know, significantly less detailed uh, throughout the, that process of the tasting, um, you know, but it was just, it was simply like, what do I want to drink? And, you know, for, for our, for our red wine, for example, I, I put that thing back into R and D three or four times because I was like, I, this, I, I don't want to drink this straight out of the can. I don't love this straight out of the can. I need it. To, and red is a, is a tough one to crack. Right. And so I was like, Very. I need it. You know, I need this to be one of the things that I want to drink every day. And, um, or every other day, I don't know, it depends if dad's listening. And, and so, so that was something that I, that I thought was really important was just like, what tastes good to me? And we're not, we're not vintaged. We're not, you know, we, we are the consumer of, of the brand. And I think what a lot of people tend to miss in this category in general is that the can in and of itself is approachable, right? And so there needs to be an approachability to these products that are, you know, that are new in a way and that are fresh and that are really from the consumer's perspective. And, um, and, and I think that that was actually a huge edge that we had in a way, because I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't even, I didn't even know what the three-tier liquor law was. Like I was Googling it. It's very hard to find on Google. It turns out. Um, also it's very hard to, to figure out when you know people who know everything about it. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and so I think that's one thing. And then the other thing too was we did a couple tests, for example, with with still canned 
wine. Ours is ours is um, effervescent, slightly carbonated. We call it a little fizzy. And uh, you know, and and when when we were trying different things, it was like, well, for example, people really expect a tss, you know, that sound when they crack yep. a can. Um, th- things like that, where we really wanted it to be able to drink like something that you would normally drink out of a can, even though we're still a still wine, you pour it into a glass, it, it kind of, you know, that carbonation kind of goes away. But, but I think that that's the thing people oftentimes are creating their canned wines as if they're creating a bottles wine. And to me, it's a different category. And I think, you know, I, I was asked a lot, especially at the beginning when there was not much of a market for canned wine. Um, you know, what's the market cap, blah, blah, blah. And, and my response was, was honestly, there was no market cap for energy drinks before Red Bull. Like why, why, why should it matter what, what that looks like for us right now? Um, because at the end of the day, if you do it right with the branding, if the product is delicious, you can create that market. And I think that, that that's something that, um, you know, that together we're, we're really going to be able to do. So Stephanie, I'm, I'm sure you see more new products than even I see. You know, and you've probably seen a ton of canned wine since, you know, the first ones kind of started exploding five years ago or so with Underwood and stuff like that. Was it for you really about the brand too, as you spoke about that, that made this such a, uh, you know, compelling sell for you? Because I feel like, again, that's something that the wine industry, a lot of the wine industry besides actually your brands don't get well, right? Is that understanding of brand, right? I think we think it's just about the liquid in the bottle or the can, et cetera. And that's all that matters. Um, But consumers love brands. So I'm curious if that was, you know, what caused Bev to stand out? Look, it it was. And I, I, I often, I think one of the hardest things about COVID and Alix and I talk about this all the time is that uh, we're an organization that loves being what I call boots on the ground. Let's get out, let's feel it. Let's go talk to customers about it. Um, let's, let's go sense it firsthand. And there are a lot of canned wine brands, but at the end of the day, based off of the due diligence that we were able to accomplish, this one had the velocity that made it interesting for us in the accounts that they were in. And so, um, and I think that at the end of the day, it really does come back down to, it's all about the brand and the work that Elise and her team are doing to drive awareness in a very focused manner with the right audience. And, um, and so the rest is history. So as of today, cause we're recording this on March 1st, you are saying you, you are now officially the distributor of the brand. So will we be able to find it pretty easily across the country soon? Uh, it's a great question. We are starting small, believe it or not small for okay. gallery. So, you know, our aim is to expand the availability of these wines right now in targeted retail accounts and select on-premise accounts in the United States. Uh, we have a what we call a concentrate and breakthrough rollout. And so it's as far as we're concerned, it's still a very young brand. And I think that Alix and our organization have a very common vision and a shared vision as to let's grow, let's grow in a responsible manner and, and let's let's grow where, where consumer demand is. And we're able to identify where the consumer demand is based off of the D2C sales that that she's been able to generate. If I can if I can add to that super quickly, I mean Small, small for staff is huge for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's fair. That's, fair. <laughs> that's what's super exciting. Um, that's what's super exciting all around. And I think I think the D2C portion is 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 so interesting because it's a new model in terms of how 
you can have, you can, you don't have to go in blind to these markets, right? And that's something that a lot of brands don't have the luxury of. And and I think that that's, you know, it's it's really, really awesome to see my team and Steph's team work together and, you know, consume all of that information and be able to say, hey, we know we're going to be successful in these places. Let's go there, you know? And, and that's just been... Um, that's, that's been really interesting. And I think the learning on, on both sides, because, um, I, I, I sure as heck don't, don't know how to execute like these folks do in the, in, in the markets. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been really, really fascinating. I mean, Alix, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, this is great. And I wish you great success, uh, in the near future as this, as this thing really rolls out. Thank you. Thank you. And me too. <laughs> Adam, all the best from the Gallo family. We appreciate all you do. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.